0: Every week it happens. Every week there's somebody with another testimony. And what is, to me, maybe some of the most exciting um, parts of this is that it's mattering less and less who prays for you, isn't it? You know, you saying that you know, it's like different people. Oh, he prayed for me. I, I was in a small group. He prayed for me. I was out in the street. Somebody prayed for me. You know, where it's happening and who's doing it is mattering less and less, because this is something that we're all coming into, and that's exciting. That is incredibly exciting. Um, and alongside the kind of the physical healings, which are obviously a manifestation of the kingdom to come, which is uh, brilliant, um, is the changed lives and the changed hearts, which if I'm honest, to me, don't tell Andy. Oh no, this is being recorded. But, <laughs> but that is, to me, just the most exciting thing ever when people stand up here and say I said you know what my heart was cold towards God I didn't you know I turned up for church but I just sang the songs and I wasn't really that and God has so gripped my life and he is is, he's changed me he's shown me how much he loves me that I'm his I'm his child he's turned my life upside down I just want to live for him I tell you what that thrills your heart a testimony like that, and, and we're seeing more and more of them as well. I encourage you, we did this in our small group, and we actually nicked the idea from Southside Small Group, um, like, to be <laughs> honest, we do with most good ideas <laughs> that we have. They tend to originate somewhere else. Um, never had an original thought in my life. Um, <laughs> but we, we went around our small group, and uh, the first week we met, actually, and we just said, listen... Let's just think about the last six months of our lives and share stories about the goodness of God, about the good things that God has done for us. And we were there all night, and I tell you, everybody left with just a huge smile on their face, and they knew that nothing was impossible for God, because you just look back, even in the last six months, at impossible situations, and yet God had come through miraculously, and it was it was different circumstances, but the same story told again and again and again around the room. It was extraordinary, and that's true all across the church. It's incredibly exciting, and I guess the kind of ultimate examples of, uh, of transformed hearts and changed life is, is salvation, and I know that we're starting to see just maybe beginnings of that, um, but listen, that's what, that's what we're here for. Isn't it? We're here to, to change lives for people to get saved and added to us and other churches throughout Glasgow and the world and for the society to be transformed. Salvation. It's just I mean wouldn't it be cool when every week, you know, as regularly now as we have healing testimonies, we have testimonies of people getting saved. I tell you that will happen. That will happen. It's it's really it's really Important that that we believe that <laughs> that that is where we're heading. That is why we're here, after all. You know, we we, we really are serious about about that being the point. That's but really, it's actually God that's serious about that being the point. Let's probably get that in the right order. He really wants to, he really wants to reach people who don't know him. Really, really, and uh, he's going to do it increasingly. Uh, uh, but one of the things that I want to talk about today, mainly that God has changed, I think, in the last year quite uh, profoundly, Um, and it's not all that can be said about this subject by any means, but um, it's in the area of our worship, Um, and by that I mean the praise worship, the singing of songs um, when we gather together. Um, Obviously, worship is all of life, so Alan Harrison, there you go. I managed to be very particular. He pulls me up on that every time. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, (laughs) So our worship, our worship seems to have seems to have really transformed, and and um, one of the kind of most striking examples I have of this, which is interesting, is last last weekend um, I was thirty, and my wife threw a surprise party for me, which was very exciting. Um, But I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you. When I arrived in church on the Sunday morning, um, you know, I, I don't know if I was all here. <laughs> Let me put that. I felt like at least a third of me was still in the bed at home. Uh, and, and so you, you, I was kind of, and I was sitting up in the back, and I was kind of you know, doing my best to kind of engage in the worship, I suppose, you know, like you do. Um, but I was observing more than anything i was just looking at you guys worshiping and i tell you that was exciting because it, it was observable there was there's something that's got into people's hearts that, that is changing the way we worship god on a sunday morning um, and the presence of god it, it was a it, it was strange it was almost like i was kind of slightly removed from it, you know, well, at least a third of me was removed from it, and still asleep at home. Uh, but you could, you could see, you could feel the presence of God. You could almost see it on people um, as, as they were worshiping. Um, and it's more and more actually going to characterize what we do on a Sunday morning. It's, it's, as I said, I shared actually during the worship, we're not singing songs. We're absolutely not just singing songs. We are worshipping our Father in heaven. And and it's a profound and beautiful thing. Uh, And he loves it. And uh, it's just amazing to witness. And it's happening. Uh, And I just want to talk talk into that kind of setting, I suppose, this morning. What he's doing uh, with us. And I'm just going to really use one verse. Some of you are looking at your watches and just thinking, how long can he talk on one verse? Yes! (laughs) Well... You would be surprised. (laughs) No, actually, I want us to to go back to to worship at the end, Um, so I'm going to try and be as brief as I can. How many times have I said that and then gone right to the end? Uh, I really will try not to uh, this morning. Uh, The verse I want to uh, pick out is uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and it's a... it's a very famous verse from a very famous uh, passage uh, of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where, where Jesus, um, you know, preaches to the crowd and introduces some incredible themes that you could spend, and many people have, the rest of their lives uh, trying to get their head around. Um, Many books have been written about these uh, verses uh, by people a lot cleverer than I am. Uh, So I'm not going to um, say everything about this verse clearly, but um, I just wanted to to talk a wee bit um, into this this morning. Before we do that, um, I'd like to pray. And it just occurred to me at the end of the worship this morning, but I don't know if you feel the same, but more and more, I feel this way. Maybe I'm the only one. When we get to the end of the worship, I almost feel like I'm provoked to pray. That's that's how I want to kind of respond at the end, you know, kind of we've we've encountered God, and I feel actually Him kind of impressing upon us, I guess, or well, certainly on me, um, to pray that actually for all the people who aren't here, um, but we carry them in our hearts and we wish they were here or in. Um, other churches, um, we wish they were uh, in Jesus in, in the end, but they 're not um, and yet I want to pray for for Andy as well, because he 's um, preaching over in uh, Perth uh, this morning and for other churches in the city like we like to do, but I also want to just before we get into this, just pray. Um, I was really provoked, I told my small group this, this is my, like my 17th digression, this is how you can get it your whole time on one verse. But I, I told my small group this on uh, um, on Wednesday, I, just, I was really just, you know, provoked that story that Jesus um, tells about um, the, the woman and the unjust judge banging on the door, you know, demanding justice, and just that, you know, Jesus, isn't it... He says on one hand on the one hand you know, whatever you ask in my name you'll have it and you can read that and you think well it'll be easy oh just ask it it'll happen it hasn't happened why not oh god you're rubbish Do you know what i mean that's, that's, we can we can have that kind of immature frankly view of prayer but on the other hand jesus says actually you know pray and don't give up pray and don't give bang on the door bang on the door because he's in there It's this mysterious thing. We pray for something that he wants to do, but we still need to pray. Who knows? Uh, But but why don't we do that? Why don't we bang on the door again this morning for some of the people who aren't here? So I'm going to pray, but please join with me out loud or in your head. Jesus, God, I want to thank you, Lord, for your presence among us, Lord. I want to thank you for your provocation to pray, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you, Lord, that you told us that whatever we asked in your name we would have. Lord, if you hadn't said it, we would never have dared to believe it. But you did. You did say it, Lord. And we want to come and bang on the door again this morning for our friends, for our family. Lord, for the people we love, who we carry in our hearts, and we want them to be in you, Jesus. We want them to to be saved. We want them to come all the way into your kingdom. Lord, I want to pray for my family. Lord, I want to pray for my friends at work. Lord Jesus, God, I want to ask that you would reveal yourself to them. You would gloriously save them. Lord Jesus, God, I think of all the people, all the friends, God, that we represent here, Lord. Each one of us could name a dozen at least, Lord, people that we just come to our mind. Lord, we bring these people to you. And we say, God, in heaven, won't you move on their lives, Lord? Won't you impact them? Won't you bring them out of darkness into light? Come on, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord God. Come, Lord God. Oh, Jesus. And, Lord, we want to pray also for Andy, Lord, this morning over in Perth. God, bless him, God, as he ministers over there. Lord, I pray for just an outbreak of your spirit in that small church that he's at God, I just God, I pray. God bless him, Lord, as he shares right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, of course, we pray for all the churches all across Glasgow, Lord God, wherever the gospel is preached faithfully. God bless it this morning. God let it see fruit. God, we pray for our amazing city that you've put us in. Jesus, we ask that you would come and and transform this place, Lord God. We pray that you would tear down, God the sectarianism and and violence and drug addiction, these terrible things that have got a grip of our city, Lord Jesus, God, come and do something remarkable among us, Lord, do something in us so that we can do something out there, Lord, I pray, come on, Lord, come on, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, brilliant, great, pray and don't give up, Phil Ford, saying that to myself, Uh, (laughs) Okay, um, so blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, I want to say that I think what God is doing fundamentally among us in the church is a work of the heart, Um, and it's really important. The heart is a big deal in the Bible, and it's a big deal to God, and it needs to be a big deal for us, and I think it is increasingly becoming a big deal for us. Um, you know, that famous uh, verse that um, God speaks to Samuel when he's uh, uh, looking at which of Jesse's sons to anoint, um, and, you know, he's looking at them and thinking, you know, which one, which one, which one, and God speaks to him and he says, actually, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, and and, and that, 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 is, that is true, kind of, it's a consistent message all the way through, um, The Bible, David's advice, you know, David, you think, what a colossal figure, the insight that that man must have had into the heart of God, and, you know, his advice, you know, in Proverbs, um, uh, or or his son's advice, sorry, in Proverbs, is, um, above all else, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. The heart of man um, is a big, big, big deal. Um, And, of course, the prophets spoke about when Jesus came that he would take out our heart of stone and he would give us a heart of flesh. He'd write his law upon our hearts and that he would be our God and we would be his people. Um, Jesus' teaching on, on sin does not focus particularly, um, in fact, at all on, on, on the, the external um, problem. He, he, he roots it in the heart. He says, you know, all these things, you know, lying, you know, adultery, fornication, deceit, wickedness, all these things actually flow from your heart. Your problem, your essential problem if you're struggling with any one of these things is your heart. The heart is the issue. That's what the Bible says. The heart is the big deal. Um, it's teaching on money. Jesus is teaching money. If you're a skinflint, um, then your problem really is not um, uh, that, you know, uh, you just like to buy expensive things for yourself. The point, the point is that your heart it's a problem. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Um, the heart is the big deal. The heart is the big deal. And increasingly, um, I want us to be a people who are preoccupied with the heart rather than with externals. God has done many kind of outward um, uh, kind of manifestations of his presence. Some people fall over. Some people um, laugh hysterically. Some people shout out. Uh, some people are very quiet and shed a single tear. Uh, some people, <laughs> some people do all sorts of different things when the presence of God is there. And listen, isn't it great? We just want the presence. We want God at any, at any we'll have God, we want God. Um, but, but the point is, the point is that he's doing things in people's hearts. And uh, we must increasingly, we're growing in this all the time we must increasingly become people who are not judging other people by what they're doing or what they're not doing and we must be people who like God spoke to Samuel who look you know, no no I'm not looking at it I'm looking in the heart we must be people who are looking in the heart because that's that's, what, that's the transformation ground that's the war ground you know that's where the sin comes from that's where the mess comes from that's where the catastrophe in Glasgow comes from you know does all this mess in our city it comes from the hearts of people and it's the hearts that needs to be transformed. So we must be a people who go for the heart. We're not going for people who will obey a certain code or you know, who will um, you know, have a certain degree of morality. We're going for people who have transformed lives. And frankly, we're never going to be able to do that unless our lives are first thoroughly transformed, unless our hearts are thoroughly transformed by the gospel and by, um, uh, the, by God's um, uh, grace. Uh, God's, Jesus' teaching uh, focused on the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think we're also learning that um, a kind of related um, truth, that actually, that heart trans, um, transformation comes through encounter with Jesus. Uh, isn't that true? Um, that's how, that's how you got saved, isn't it? You became a Christian because you met Jesus and he you changed your heart. You didn't used to love him. You do now. How did that happen? You met him. It's very simple. Uh, heart transformation came through encounter. That's why what we want more than anything is for people to encounter God in this church. That's, 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 that's number one. Presence of God is number one. That is the... You know, the floor. Presence of God in this church because that's how people's lives change. That's, it's through the encounter that their hearts are transformed. And it's no other way. There is no other way um, that people's hearts can be changed. There's no other hope other than that, people, that Jesus will encounter people and change their hearts. They'll repent and put their faith in him. And that's that's true for Christians as well. It's actually through, you know, when I became became a Christian, you know, I thought, you know, when as I was weeping under a mango tree in Mozambique, I thought that I was that I was giving everything that I had to Jesus, and in a sense, I was. But I was giving all that I knew, I had to Jesus, and and as 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 you walk it out in a Christian life, actually, the journey is God opening your eyes and you giving a bit more that you thought you didn't have, but you do, um, to him, and, uh, and him winning your heart again and again and again. You know, we don't want to be people who just think we've got it, do we? We want to be people who are kind of constantly saying, God, more of you, more of you, more of you, and more of you will mean that he kind of, you know, needs to change our hearts a give bit more, but, man, we want to do it anyway. Um... This this verse: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Um, I want to think about this idea of of a pure heart. Um, What is a pure heart? That's, I guess, uh, that's an interesting question. What is a pure heart? Because listen, the reward seems to be enormous. They'll see God. Uh, Say a bit more about that in a minute. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, um, a, a Danish philosopher, theologian. Who's ever heard of him? Good. It's great. Um, he, he wrote a book um, called uh, Purity of the Heart is to Will One Thing. It's interesting, isn't it? One thing. Purity of heart. He, he, he came at pure a pure heart. See, often when you read this verse and uh, when you Google this verse, uh, what you get is you get lots of... Uh, what you'll get is you'll get lots of um, stuff about um, rules, to be honest. Uh, you know, what you need to do is you need to start behaving this way, and uh, you need to stop doing that, and uh, you need to remember to do that, and whatever you do, make sure you don't look at that. Uh, you know, you get a list of, of things you need to do, and if you accomplish that list, you will end up with a pure heart, and you'll see God. Hallelujah. Uh, praise God is that good news? no uh, but, but it's everywhere um, but, but he comes at this in a different way he says purity of heart is to will one thing he says pure in the sense of I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at anything I'm going after that I'm, I'm in love with that and I'm, I'm kind of ignoring all that kind of stuff it's like you know, pure orange juice it's just orange juice. I mean, a bit of apple juice put in there? No, pure orange juice. But pomegranate? No, a hundred percent freshly squeezed orange juice, pure, pure orange juice. Pure heart uh, is to go after one thing. Of course, this is uh, this is really very biblical. Uh, we sang about it. Um, wonderfully uh, this morning. Um, Psalm 27, David's perspective, you just think about that man's life and, uh, you know, just how much he prized the presence of God and how much he didn't care about um, what other people thought of him because of it. You know, dancing with his jock strap on, you know, or the equivalent, you know, in front of. It's incredible! You just think, man, that guy loved God. He flipping loved them. It's inspiring. And uh, and Psalm 27. <laughs> Psalm 27. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I do that in the company of my own home. But you know, it's <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible image in everyone's head now. Um, Psalm 27. David's perspective. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing, one thing. You know, sometimes I just—I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I kind of make—I feel like I make excuses for myself. Do you know what I mean? I'm a really busy guy. You know, this guy ran a nation. <laughs> one thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord. What's even When you read the context of this verse, he's in the middle of pressure, tremendous pressure. People are wanting him dead. People are going after his life. And you think, maybe, maybe what would your one be, thing be in that circumstance? Mine would be, just kill that guy, please. You know? <laughs> Or at least get him, you know, away somewhere else. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire, to inquire in his temple. One thing, one thing, a pure heart, it says, I want, I want him Beyond anything else. Beyond anything else in life. Think about your life. Beyond anything else in your life. Other career ambitions, families, marriage. You know, all these good things. But beyond them all. This one thing. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in his temple. People like that, eh? Who could stop them? Who could stand against the people who were so pure of heart that they just wanted one thing? I just want you, God. And I want you at any price. I want you. David's perspective, Paul's perspective, interesting, similar phrase, not that I've already obtained this in Philippians chapter 3, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You think about Paul's life. You think about all he did and all he endured and all the miracles he saw and all the crowds he preached to. And the fact that in some places they dragged him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. And you think about that man's life and you think, what was the thing that was going on in the inside? Well, it was that one thing. That one thing. Straining and pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Jesus, a man like that. I mean, who could stand against him? Think about what happened through his life. Pure heart. Of course, we see we see this um, in, in Jesus most clearly, obviously. The greatest commandment, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's, the most important is this, hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. We sang this as well this morning, I just realized. The Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That sounds a lot like one thing. Pursue him, this one thing, with everything that you have got. I think God is drawing this from us. What's interesting about this verse, it's a bit of a, I mean, this made me laugh, but, you know, I'm the kind of English teacher that laughs at Shakespeare and all the kids look at you like you're an idiot. Um, But I kind of laughed. uh, You know, the more I thought about this, You know, there's Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus. Okay, standing before a crowd of people. Bless the pure in heart, they will see God. I wonder if he was laughing to himself thinking, I am God. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite funny. That made me laugh. (laughs) Bless the pure in heart, they'll see God. Why don't we turn to Peter? <laughs> Maybe <he> didn't. <laughs> I'm speculating. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's there's a joke in here. But I think he's he's he's, he's teaching us. He's teaching us, isn't he? Yes. To be a people increasingly of the of the one thing, the one passion. Um, and, and, and that involves a, a change. It's, it's, it's involved a huge change, to be honest, in me, uh, which I've spoken about uh, before uh, up here. But one of the things that he's teaching is that we've got to love him. To love him with a pure heart means that we've got to love him without any selfish motive. Um, see, what you can do... Is you can love Jesus uh, because you want him to bless what you're doing. Yeah. You can definitely do that. I have definitely done that uh, at times. A great story in Luke chapter 10 about um, Martha and Mary. And the, the, it's great because uh, what happens is, uh, well, I'll just read it to you in verse 38. about many things, but one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's fascinating. You can read over it. Martha is the one that invites Jesus into the house. It's actually not Mary you would think, it's almost counterintuitive, you would think it would be Mary because she's the one after all who's sitting listening to, to his teaching but it's actually Martha. Martha's the one who invites him in and as soon as he's there, she said, "Well, I mean, now I've invited you in Jesus, you know, it'd be really helpful if you could just tell all these people to help me because I've got a lot to do. <laughs> we could be like that, can't we? To Jesus. We can invite them into our lives, but in our head we're thinking, Jesus, you can come in because I've got a great idea and listen, with a bit of God behind it, we could really go somewhere. <laughs> you know, have you ever had that thought? You've thought, yeah, this is a great idea. You know, if we just, you know, put this together with God, we'll really have something. Um, you can think that way. You can think that way. We do think that way. That's the reality. You do think that way. Let me put it clearly. <laughs> you do think that way. But listen, God is hes drawing, he's kind of pulling that out of us. And he's helping us to be people of one thing. Um, the parable of the two sons, uh, which I've, I've, I've called it that because it's not really the parable of the prodigal son, as we know. It's the parable of two sons, and the, the problem with both of these sons is one um, doesn't really want to live with his, around his dad because, you know, he just wants his dad's stuff and then he can go off and do his own thing. Um, so he, you know, he, he's uninterested really in, in loving the father, but he's very obvious about being uninterested in loving the father, you know, because he's like, stuff you, man, I'm taking my money and I'm out of here. So, I mean, that's clear. That's a clear message. Uh, that he's sending there, uh, but the but the other son, uh, the older brother, he has the same problem. Uh, we see we see it right at the end. Turn to Luke chapter fifteen. I, I kind of I kind of lied to you, didn't I, when I said one verse? I did. Sorry, I repent immediately. Um, but if we look at. Uh, Look at the older son in, in, from verse 25 of Luke, Luke 15. Uh, now his older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command." Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. What's well, interesting? It's interesting. Read it carefully. Interesting. Um, once I find it, it's very interesting. He said this. Um, I never disobeyed your command. Doesn't sound like a son. Sounds like a servant. (laughs) Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now who's missing from that celebration? The father. Because in his mind, actually, he's living in the house. He's obeying the commands. His heart is exactly the same as the younger brother. He hates his dad. He doesn't have any fun with him. He doesn't really know how he could have any fun with him. He thinks if he ever gets his hands on a fatted calf, the last thing he's going to do is hang out with his dad and eat it. He's going to take off with his friends eat it over there. Both of these sons. You know, some people like to obey the. Some people get at obeying the rules. Some people are not, you know. Let's just learn that pretty quickly um, in school. Uh, and, but the truth is that, like I said at the beginning, the heart is the issue. And Jesus, when he told this parable, he was really describing almost everybody in the whole world. You can either have one of two reactions to God. You can either say, actually, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I mean, I want to be able to breathe don't get me wrong, I want all the stuff that you give me, so I'm just going to take that and run off and do my own thing. Younger son, older son, I'm going to obey you like a servant, but my goodness, there's going to be no joy. And actually, if I ever get anything, if I ever scrape together anything from serving you, I'm not going to be en- enjoying it with you. In their hearts, they both hate their father. We can be like that. I can be like that. You can be like that. God is weaning us off this because He's wanting a people who are after one thing. One thing. To love Him without a selfish motive. He's also teaching us to love Him without fear. Uh, Now, this is interesting. Uh, fear can be a motivator. Actually, Kierkegaard says this. He says, actually, if you love because if 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 you d- desire something or you you run after something or you serve something because you if you think you because you think if I don't, I'm going to get punished badly, then there is in a sense a selfish motive about that. Because what you're saying is, you know, I'll I'll just do I'll serve you just because you know, if I don't, I'm going to be in shtuk, you know. Uh, And and listen, fear of God in the sense of awe and reverence um, for God, absolutely, absolutely. And fear can be used that way, and where it is, absolutely great. I think it's fascinating that John, who, of course, uh, got the revelation Uh, that he wrote about in the last book of the Bible. In the first chapter, when he sees this um, kind of... has this vision of the resurrected Christ. He falls on his face as if he's dead. Now, that seems like what we would say, man, that guy fears God. That is awe. That is reverence. That is good fear. But he is also the same guy who wrote in a letter... In chapter 4 of the letter, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has sent, so he has given us, us of his Spirit. And we testify to the Father that, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever um, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also, we, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but love perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There's an awful lot of worship, if you can even call it that, that goes on in our city every weekend. And it's essentially motivated by fear in a bad way. It's essentially, I've got to turn up, I've got to sing this song, you know, because if I don't, I fear God is going to smite me. Now, we need to come through that. We need to be perfected in the love of God so that we're not, our worship to him is, is pure. We're not doing it because if we don't, we're in deep trouble. We're, do- we're doing it. Because we love him. We've seen him. We've seen a glimpse of his beauty and we can't get enough of it. That is a pure heart. That is a pure love. And of course, what I'm really talking about in all these things, you know, self, um, kind of selfish motives, fear, all these kinds of things, I'm really talking about Idols. I'm talking about the things that we put in our hearts that are not God, but that we treat as God in certain settings. Things that actually we're in fear of losing. The things that make us feel that we've got to keep all the plates spinning. Because actually, you know, as the Israelites found in the desert, if you make a golden calf, if you make an idol, you need to carry it through the desert. If you worship God, he carries you. And and that... Thank you. Uh, I thought that was a good point. Um, It was someone else's. uh, Terry Virgos. Copyright. Uh, But when we set up these things in our hearts that are not God... So, you know, this promotion, this relationship, this one thing that's not God. Maybe we're like Martha. Maybe we kind of like, you know, I really want this promotion. Jesus, come into the house. Let's talk about my promotion. We make it an idol in our life. We, we, we're, really, we're really not loving God We're really loving the promotion and using God. That's an idol. And we have these things in our lives things that actually control our decisions more than God, things that give us our approval more than God. You know, God, we can pray for these things and not get them. And then uh, we can get mad at God for not giving us them. Here's the thing God doesn't give you an idol, He's not going to give you an idol. I mean, I really want this job, this new job. You know, in fact, God, if you're good, you would give me this job. He's not going to give you that job. He's not going to give you an idol. He's not going to give you a problem for your life. He wants to wean you off that. What's the thing that gives you status that's not God or identity or joy? Fundamentally, the core, the, st- the solid rock under your feet. The one thing of Jesus, his love for you, his grace upon your life. Man. I'm gonna skip that. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God and they will be blessed. That word blessed could be translated happy. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he sold everything that he had to buy that field. God has such a way. He wins our hearts to him as the one thing. And because we were made by him, and we were made to worship him, That's the one place where we'll really be happy. That's the one place where we'll really find joy. That's the one place where we'll feel satisfied and feel affirmed and feel complete. So, I did stop early. I want us just to come back this morning. I feel like we're pressing every week we're pressing forward in worship you feel like if we hang around a wee bit further and keep banging on the door God's going to break out in a whole new way among us and he's going to change our hearts in a whole new way and I want us just to have a song and think of it like that, think of it like that listen, we're as kids okay? so we're not like that Women banging in the door of the unjust ju- judge—in a sense. In fact, we're a lot better than that. A lot better than that. But we know where we know where his kids, and we know he's in there, and we want him, don't we? Let's stand. Jesus, God, I want to pray, Lord, that uh, Hope Church would be a people. Lord, um, who would have you as the one thing that they desire above all else, Lord. God, no matter what happens in the future, no matter what we see happen, Lord, no matter what changes, God, I pray that, that this wouldn't change, Lord, that actually we want you. God, we want you more than we want success. We want you more than we want numbers. We want you more than we want anything else, in fact. God, we want you. God, we want you to inhabit the praises of your people this morning. God, come, I pray. Even in this few minutes we have left, God, and touch hearts, I pray. God, show us, Lord, where, God, where where our loyalties are divided. God, help us. God, help us, Lord, say like David that there's one thing we want and that is to see you and behold your beauty come Holy Spirit come Lord Jesus